Here we go. Today is July 11th, 2021, and this is episode 256. Maybe we should make this like 255 and a half. Because we keep promising back in the day that we're going to do something special for 256. Yeah, yeah. And clearly we're not. Clearly we're not. Anyway, this is, uh, again, episode 256 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Good evening, Jerry. And how dare you go on vacation last week and ruin our two week in a row streak? I know. I know. I, I had fully intended to record a show with you while I was on vacation, but holy cow, we got busy. So it, it, it yeah. uh, you know, with, uh, with the 4th of July holiday, and I had both my kids and their girlfriends, and it, it was, and my dog at the beach, it was just uh, pure chaos. I bet. And, you know, coincidentally, massive cybersecurity events and foreign government assassinations while you're on vacation. I'm just saying, coincidentally. All, yeah, all happened while I was out. I, you know, it was, it was funny. I was driving to uh, to Florida while the news of the Kaseya attack, which we, we're going to talk about tonight, uh, was, was unfolding. And I could, I, I wasn't able to read it because I was driving, but I could, my phone was just going bonkers <laughs> all the all the media trying to reach out to you for yeah, your yeah, exactly that's right right that's right i mean who doesn't want to know what jerry bell has to say about this i don't know anybody one way or the other they're either gonna be forced to hear it <laughs> you know as an inmate that's right when they play this for them that's right so no, but you picked you picked a fine time to go on vacation that's all i'm saying there's uh, one thing I've I've come to realize is there's never a good time for vacation. Yeah, well, Something crazy always happens. Uh, but just a reminder that the thoughts and opinions we express in the show are ours and do not represent those of our employers. Indeed. So uh, there were two main things I wanted to cover tonight. Uh, number one was related to this uh, uh, recently disclosed print nightmare vulnerability in Microsoft Windows. Well, that was a very interesting story, how uh, a group of researchers identified a local privilege escalation vulnerability in Microsoft Window Print Spooler and had uh, you know, worked with Microsoft, created a CVE, and separately, a different team of researchers um, were also experimenting with Print Spooler and... Um, believed that Microsoft had fully patched all of the problems, but they had uh, they had discovered that the problem wasn't just limited to local privilege escalation. It was also remote code execution. So their view was, hey, Microsoft has fixed the problem. They've released a patch. So they go to press as any good enterprising security researcher does, runs out to press with, you know, examples, sample code and, you know, chest beating and all that. And come to learn that no, in fact, this is a new vulnerability that is not patched. Oopsie. 
So they quickly withdrew their code, uh, their, their proof of concept code, but at that point it was uh, too late. Once things are on the internet, you can never take them back. Uh, so yeah, um, not a great situation. Uh, fortunately, I think, I, I like to, to hope at least, there aren't a lot of Windows servers at this point that are completely exposed to the internet, so it probably requires some additional exploit chaining, unlike what we're going to talk about next. Uh, but it does, you know, does kind of reinforce some of the discussions we've had in the past about, um, you know, least privileged access. You should not be exposing uh, services like Print Spooler to, uh, you know, to on the unwashed masses. And by the way, that can include, you know, your own internal internal networks as well. Obviously, you can't get away from it completely. Windows Print Spooler is used for you know, pretty much any kind of printing. There's two main mitigations. One is to disable the Print Spooler altogether, which means that you can't print remotely or locally. You can't be a print. You can't host a a network printer. There's another one that um, that just disables your ability to do network printing. You can still print uh, locally, but um, yeah, this is a, not a not a great a great thing if you haven't uh, you haven't fixed this yet disabled uh, principler you know get out there and do it i will also say rumor is next week is going to be quite exciting for patch tuesday isn't it always though i i i, I believe it's going to be more exciting than normal fresh deliveries at the patchery are always exciting to me yes but- Extra exciting. Yeah, this one's kind of crazy. Uh, you know, for different folks to find different bits of vulnerabilities, thinking they were the same, uh, getting it out there, then a bunch of other researchers went out there, found their own versions of it. A bunch of POCs got released uh, before the patch got released. And I was thinking from a vulnerability management standpoint, you know, knowing how widespread public POC code is how widespread integrations and like, you know, in this case, somebody uh, spun it up into Mimi cats and some other stuff like that. This exploitation is probably should be going into your decision-making around vulnerability management and not just, you know, CVE above X, we have this amount of time frame. It, you know, being able to monitor and know what's going on with these sort of vulnerabilities, I think really does need to go into your prioritization of patching because it, it, there's just too much to do. So, But when stuff like this happens, when it goes public and there's this much press about it, you probably need to move it up because it's too trivial for a bad guy to get a hold of and go after. Yeah, I think the other, the, other, uh, the other takeaway for me is that this is a great example of the distinction between patch management and vulnerability management because for, for quite some time, I, I think it was on the order of a week or two, uh, the, the exploit code was running around on the internet. There was no patch. Right. But there were mitigations. But there were mitigations. So again, right. there's this comes back to vulnerability management versus patch management. Yeah. And so there, you know, if you're just reliant on, um, you know, on, on patches to fix your vulnerabilities, you're going to miss things like this, or at least expose yourself to, um, you know, to it, to attack in the window. Now, as far as I know, there there hasn't been any, any active exploitation, at least it's been publicly disclosed, although that doesn't 
necessarily mean anything. Um, just not not any uh, any rampant attacks. You know, the other thing that was interesting about this one that we've seen before, we've never really talked about. A third party, unrelated to Microsoft, published their own patch yes. to mitigate this before Microsoft did. How do you feel about that? These third parties who are not the vendor, but putting out and a, a patch. I, it's um, it's kind of a dicey thing. Um, I, I would say, as an organization, you you have to do your own due, due diligence on whether or not you're going to accept that. I I know that in uh, in some cases, companies. I'm trying to find the name of that company, but. The, the, in some instances, especially if you're using like out-of-date, end-of-life software, they are your only hope, unless you want to pay some ungodly amount of money to uh, to Microsoft, which may not even be be possible yeah. in some cases. The company name is either Opatch or Zero Patch. I'm not sure if that's an O or a Zero. dot com. Got who, it. Who put out the patch? Got it. Um, you know, I. Uh, like I said, I, I think you have to develop your own level of trust. You know, having said that, you know, Microsoft people thought this patch that Microsoft released fixed this vulnerability. So you know, you're I guess you're always spinning the spinning the wheel at some point. Yeah, I, I guess my biggest concern is what are the unforeseen downstream regression problems you might have with a third party patch. Mm. And and reliability issue that might come up. It's a good point. They they are quite likely not testing as extensively as a company like Microsoft would. So yeah, I don't know. I I don't know anything about these guys. I'm not besmirching them at all. I really don't know. I just think about you know Microsoft doesn't care about their patch and all their further testing and their. So I don't know. I know maybe they have a methodology that addresses that. And uh, but, but it, say, it, on, the, on the other hand, like they were. Out of the gate, pretty fast, and so right. if you if you do develop a level of trust with them, you know maybe it is a good a good option for you. I don't know. I I don't have any experience with them. Yeah, there definitely was a lot of interesting confusion about this, and then there was also, and I didn't track this down before the show. There was a bunch of traffic I saw on Twitter of this patch not working properly, but then Microsoft came out and said, "No, no, it does." But if you've done X, Y, and Z, you've broken something else that you need to undo. Mm. There's just a lot of confusion around this particular issue that came out uh, that, you know, and what, you know, what it comes down to, like you said, for good or ill, you probably need smart vulnerability and, and patch management people who can look at this stuff, understand what's going on and make some wise decisions and not just waiting for, you know, your Microsoft update server to push out a patch. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So uh, moving on to the other, I mean, there's really only one other thing that happened over the past two weeks. Yeah. You slacked at the beach. <laughs> I did that. I did while I was busy slacking at the beach. Uh, there was a pretty massive attack launched by either the Revil group or an affiliate of the Revil group. Remembering that, um, Revil is ransomware as a service, so it's a little unclear exactly who um, who perpetrated this attack. But anyway, there was a there's a company named Kaseya, I think it's pronounced Kaseya, and they um, they manufacture system management software, 
when this system management software is used to manage like you know, desktops and fleets of systems. Uh, over the holiday weekend, uh, I think it was starting on July 2nd, which in the U.S. is a, a, a very common day to take off. Uh, July 4th, or sorry, July 4th is a holiday, and then July 5th, Monday, was the observed holiday. So you had, typically had a lot of a lot of IT people who were out on a long weekend. And then also um, the second was, uh, I think, Canada Day. In, uh, in, Indeed. In the holidays in a couple places around Europe. So not a, not a heavily... Uh, heavily worked day. So unfortunately, a lot of people had their vacation wrecked, I fear. And uh, what what happened was uh, that Kaseya makes this piece of software called uh, VSA. I think it stands for Virtual Server Assistant or Virtual System Assistant. Uh, this was used by either Revil or a Revil affiliate to push out ransomware to some number of victim organizations that, and I say some number because that number is up for debate. Depending on who you listen to, uh, it's somewhere between 800 and many thousands of companies. The, uh, the Kaseya itself says that they, uh, that they had about 50 of their direct customers impacted, but those direct customers were themselves managed service providers. And each one of those managed service providers had some number of customers. Kaseya is saying that it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 to 1,500 end companies. But then there was a managed service provider in uh, in Germany who said that they themselves had 1,500 customers impacted. And we're, we're probably thinking most of these are relatively small companies. Correct. Th- things yeah. like libraries, um, you know, doctor's offices things like that. But there were some substantial companies as well. I think it was the, the co-op grocery store in Sweden, I believe, was actually shut down for several days. Eight, they had 800 stores out of business. So that's... Jeez. That's, uh, you know, that's fairly significant. And, and so the way this worked, as I understand it, is the bad guys got into the update code repository for this particular system manager software used the patch system to push out their malicious code. And then that pushed from the servers to all the endpoints that were being managed by the agent. Is that kind of the flow here? Correct. There's still a little bit of unclarity about exactly what happened, but here's what we do know. Uh, But the key thing, this wasn't just the server themselves. Like it wasn't the, can say, uh, if I'm saying that right, server that got ransomware. This was beyond that. It spread well beyond this yeah, particular it, in, in fact, yeah. I, I don't think the Kaseya servers it's themselves were actually ransomware. It was the systems that those Kaseya servers managed. And those could be, I mean, it's, it's system management software. So it's got an agent that runs on Windows boxes or servers yeah, or whatever. And it's and according to Kaseya, it's into the millions of endpoints. Wow. I mean that that are managed. I, I not right. not that are necessarily uh, affected with ransomware here, but right. we don't I don't think we know that particular number yet. It's it's pretty I'm sure it's pretty big. Um 
But so there's a there's a bit of interesting drama here too because there the the Dutch Institute of Vulnerability Disclosure, which is basically their like uh, cert, their version of U.S. cert. Uh, it's also lovely there this time of year. I'm it, it really very much is. Well, it's it's lovely lovely there most times, but mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a nice place. You know, else is lovely most of the time. Oh my gosh, don't even go there. Just say your just mom. T- t- yeah. Hey, look, I'm just trying to ease you back into the your mom because, <laughs> like a lot of people ease into but see it's been a while so i didn't want to just come right out of the gate got it got and it. in fact i got complaints well, you did get complaints I, I saw that yes so for, for the your uh, your lack of your mom jokes i, I, I must suspect. keep my my fans happy all right so this uh this dutch institute of vulnerability disclosure uh, i had identified six vulnerabilities in kaseya software going back to i think april and they had been working with Kaseya to get those um, those vulnerabilities fixed. And, uh, you know, to their own uh, blog posts, they, they are saying, the DIVD is saying that Kaseya actually was being quite responsive, had been fixing the problems reported and been uh, providing patches for that group to to verify that the issue was remediated. And, um, and then uh, July 2nd happened. And one of the vulnerabilities, which was uh, uh, this uh, vulnerability labeled as a credential leak and business logic flaw, is apparently what was used uh, by the attackers to log into individual, uh, what I'll call self-hosted Kaseya VSA servers. I say it that way because there's also a Kaseya VSA SaaS service, which was apparently not affected but that's not it's not clear if that was you know by luck or by design uh, but the um, the the managed service providers that were affected apparently were all hosting their own instances of this uh, the DIVD had um, had been scanning the internet looking for internet connected instances of the VSA server and they said that uh, prior to the attack they had identified 2200 internet connected instances and then by July 4th after you know two days after the attack that number was down to less than 140 so obviously world word had gotten out uh, but that kind of gives you a sense of potential scale of how, how many customers could have been affected and because by the way the vulnerability that was used apparently as of right now which is um you know, three thirty p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday is not yet fixed. They they have not released a patch yet. But I'm I'm also curious. This is what I'm I'm just a little lost here, and that there's a vulnerability in the software. Okay, got that. Mm-hmm. But what started this was actually them getting into the patch process ah, so so here's what happened as far as i can tell again my reading of what's what happened vsa server has a web portal yeah each of these there were 2200 instances of this web portal that were accessible to the internet the portal had a vulnerability which apparently allowed an attacker to obtain credentials to log into the portal so bad guys 
assuming bad guys. So usually it's bad guys logged into the system, logged into the portals. It could be bad girls. Has your bad guys. Typically, Mm -hmm. statistically, Mm -hmm. we're going to get, we're going to get hate mail. Go on. (laughs) I'm just saying, um, adversary. How about let's go with that. Adversary is logging into the portal. It's unclear by the way, if this is automated or manual. So, if it's manual, that might be why it was only 50 instead of 2,200. Uh, logged in, using uh, apparently using credentials they were able to harvest through this vulnerability. They disabled administrative access to, uh, to the VSA administrative component. They created a, a job called Kaseya uh, VSA Agent Hotfix, and that job went in turn out to each managed endpoint and ran us you know, effectively ran a script that pushed out a version uh an older version of microsoft windows defender and it pushed a dll and it pushed a, um, a small powershell command line the powershell command line uh, disabled windows defender and i think may have done disabled some other security software as well um, by the way, Kaseya's own instructions uh, tells people, tells uh, administrators to uh, you know, block Defender from scanning certain directories. Right. <laughs> including where you know, Kaseya VSA drops its files. So unclear if that would have really made any difference here because this is you know, just the way it happened. Anyway, um, they, they, uh, they uploaded an old version of Defender, which allowed side uh, DLL side loading. They uploaded a DLL, which actually contained the Revo ransomware. The, the old version of, uh, of Windows Defender opens, loads this side loaded DLL, and it's off to the races. The, the, the system is now infected with ransomware. And, and here we are, en masse. What's what's kind of interesting too is I was reading some of the statements by the CEO of Kaseya Kaseya. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. And he's also hinting that it wasn't just his own company software that had the problem. He, he sort of it looks like Mandy is doing an investigation, and that more will come out. But he starts to hint that another vendor's software also got exploited in some way. So could be just trying to shift some blame around. I don't know. I you know I heard that in the early days of this attack, but I haven't heard that recently. But I, I I I'm familiar with what you're what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it was in it was in one of the articles that were that that's in our show notes too. That you know he was talking about that. But yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting how this goes. And you know, kind of one of the things I'm wondering about: what responsibility? does Kaseya have to its customers who are impacted by by them, right? So this is, in essence, a supply chain attack with Kaseya being the supply chain. Their customers run Kaseya and got ransomware from them. So, so far, the only thing Kaseya is saying is we're going to have a patch to block this in the future and we've shut this down, but you know, what additional responsibilities do they have to help their customers deal with this? 
Well, in terms of con, you know, legal requirements, probably not a lot. You know, because if you think about it, the the, the com- companies, the organizations that were actually affected, don't have a direct relationship with Kaseya. You know, their relationship right. with with an MSP, and it's the MSP who has a relationship with Kaseya, and and so you know, like, I, I if you're a if you're a small bank or a small uh, doctor's office or the co-op grocery store in Sweden. You know, you don't really care. I mean, you're 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 hiring an MSP to come out and manage your point of sale devices or your library terminals or whatever. You know, you're kind of indifferent to what what specific system management software they're using. That's not what you're hiring them for. You're hiring them to manage your fleet. So, um, I'm sure there's you know there's there's kind of a two step here. The there's the contract between Kaseya and the MSP, which probably doesn't provide a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of liability. And then there's the contracts between those MSPs and their customers, which probably does have some amount of liability. Now for its part, Kaseya, I, you know, there, there is some obvious blowback for Kaseya because this happened and, and whatnot, but all indications are that they're taking it, taking pretty reasonable actions. They went off and they apparently licensed um, FireEye software. So <clears throat> if you're a victim of this, you can actually contact uh, Kaseya and provide them some information, which I'm sure won't be used against you, um, and and obtain licenses for FireEye software to help help. Uh, to, Keep your environment safe. They provided quite a quite extensive documentation on how to check if you've been inf- affected. Um, they've been pretty clear, like the 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 guidance, you know, which I actually ex- expected reading through their guidance to you know, to see them providing instructions on how to clean off and affect the server. But no, they uh, they said if if you if you run this this uh, script that looks for IOCs and it you have evidence that you've been infected. You know, you're not in, you're not putting that thing back into production. They ask you to contact Kaseya, and they'll help you build a new a new system. So that's different than what we've seen in the past. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that detection tool that they published, mm-hmm. but yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, it's it's a tough spot for them to be in, and uh, I'm sure that they don't want to get sued either. And, and, you know, and, and this is something that we often struggle with in this industry is obviously there's a bad actor here who has facilitated and caused this to happen. But a lot of people blame the victim. A lot of people are saying, well, this is, you know, say I should have done this or they should have done that. And they, but let's keep in mind that there was a motivated, intelligent third party who caused this to happen. This wasn't just a screw up on Kaseya's part through, you know, somebody pressed the wrong button. There was an active attack here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but we often sort of, and I think this is in part because of our industry and the vendors in our industry and the consultants and everybody else are, are about defending ourselves uh, that we have this bias towards, well, there must be a way. And, you know, you just didn't do it. Well, sometimes. And, but... It, it, it's like if there was a random fault and a place burned down versus arson. 
You know, it's, it's, it's a very big deal that we forget that there are these third parties out here who cause this. Now, that's not that there isn't a lot that we can learn from and we should do and protect ourselves. And, uh, you know, even though there's all this talk about the government doing this and the government doing that, I personally believe the government's not coming to save us. This is, this is on us. Now, there's not much they're going to be able to really do in the long run, in my opinion. Take that for the grain of salt. But it's it's a tough situation for these guys. And I'm not absolving them. I just know that, boy. I did see, though, that Revil's having trouble dealing with all the ransom. Uh, and, you know, they were trying to do a flat fee payout. Yeah, for their part, they're uh, they're hoping they're hoping to get um, get someone to pay, you know, once to decrypt everybody who was affected for the low low price of it. It was originally seventy million, and I think they've they, they've they've come down a bit to fifty million dollars in Bitcoin. You know, if they're having trouble scaling, maybe we could start a new business where we handle that like a, for like the bad an guys. Intermediary. Right, like a, right. I a, mean, there's even an intermediary for the victims. Well, hey. But who who is supporting the bad guys in these situations? There's clearly a business model. Like, like Visa for, um, you know, for, for, for ransomware, right? Perfect. Handling. Jeez. Like <laughs> we should trademark that. Oh, my goodness. Um, it, this was, uh, th- this is a really, really bad situation. I've actually been trying to think about, you know, as... as entities and again there's two different two distinct categories of entities here there's the end companies and i don't want to be overly defeatist but the kind of companies that hire an msp probably don't have an it department or a security department to speak of most likely they've outsourced that to a third party yeah right and and so you know that becomes it becomes really difficult if you're this, a supermarket who outsources your IT to an an MSP. You're trusting that MSP to be doing the right things. Uh, but it, from the MSP's perspective, this again comes back to least privilege. And one of the one of the hardening guides that Kaseya has available now, and I don't know by the way if this was. You know, part of their hardening guide prior to this event, but their their hardening guide now indicates that you know this portal should only be accessible, uh, you know, to specifically to administrators. So, i.e., you should have to connect via VPN. It should be on uh, like only on a local network that you can connect to it. And they also recommend that you uh, restrict access to this you know to, to the server. Uh, on the on the specific Kaseya, I, I I'll just call it an RDP RDP port, or, um, you know where where cause the Kaseya agents are calling or phoning home, but even that I think there's an opportunity if you have a a somewhat static customer base for you to 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 limit access. But then again, I guess if they're um, if your if your customers themselves have mobile employees, maybe there's really not a lot more you can do to uh, to limit it. Yeah, it's a tough one to give advice on, in part because we don't know the full story. Uh, and I really, you know, again, not to be defeatist, but some of these trusted supply chains with automated update process, 
I'm not saying automated update is a bad thing. I think it does far more good than bad. But here it was leveraged in such a way that, I mean, the whole point of this software is to manage endpoints mm-hmm. and push push software and push code. And it did. It just happened to push ransomware. So it's a tough one. I mean, I don't know. I know there's a lot of vendors out there saying, hey, we stop ransomware by looking for the types of activity of ransomware. Uh, you know, to when when the encryption process starts, or so maybe some of that might have caught the post exploit activity. Maybe. Yeah, but if you, so, keep in mind this this piece of software, this Kaseya VSA software, effectively had system access, system level access, and so yeah, you know if <clears throat> if you if you have a if you have an Uber agent that's able to stop ransomware. Now, maybe it's obscure enough that it's off of their radar, off of Reville's radar. But if you know, if your if your agent, if your anti ransomware agent gets too smart, a piece of software like this is going to have the ability to stop it. Right. Sure. It's that arms race, absolutely. And you know, maybe maybe this is a matter of just alerting faster. I don't know. You know, if if you've got a piece of code that is meant to stop the bad guys and it's stopped like in a, you know, just kill that process stop. Maybe that flags a different alert. I, I, it becomes an arms race, right? And there's always ways if somebody has got root, they can be smart to find another piece of code. I don't know. I just, I hate to say there's nothing you can do. I, and I'm sure that there are vendors out there going right now saying, Oh, we want to stop that X, Y, Z. Well, maybe, maybe this one, but maybe not the next one. Because it's a constant evolution. Yeah, yeah. This is this is just a tough, a tough situation because, you know, again, there is not a perfect endpoint defense agent. You have a you have a situation where you've implicitly, or maybe even explicitly, trusted both the agent and the MSP to manage your stuff. The MSP, for their part. I mean, there was no patch. It's not like they were, it's not like they were delinquent, right? You know, the the MSPs weren't running out of date stuff, right? It was a, I mean, from their from their perspective, it was an O day. Like if there's if there's fault to be had with MSPs, it's that they apparently allowed the portal to be accessible in openly on the internet, but at the same time, apparently, it um. You know, required two-factor authentication. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a an obviously awful thing to do. And obviously, in hindsight, we can say, "Gosh, there's no way that should have been exposed." But I, I, we've talked about this in years past. I fear that more and more we're going to see IT tools like this being weaponized, because, like. These are just really soft spots. It's becoming increasingly difficult to be successful, you know, at scale with kind of the, the traditional means of phishing emails and uh, and lateral movement, you know, worm-based propagation and whatnot. That's becoming increasingly difficult. But there's these IT tools which, by design, have kind of unfettered access to everything and. Quite often, they're not properly designed and properly protected. 
It, but, I, you know, that being said, I do think these tools also provide a tremendous value. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I don't want to smirch the, the concept of the tool because I don't know how you're going to run a modern site without these sorts of you can't. management tools. You can't. You, you, need, you need them, right? You, you, well, otherwise you have to have, to have them. In, sorry, go ahead. No, you have to have them. You're right. Yeah. Because they're probably applying patches and stopped a bunch of other stuff. Right. You know, it's it's a tough problem. Uh, you know, you know what, what this is, it's really unfortunate for Kaseya. I, I have to say, because when you think about it, this, this sort of stuff happens to Microsoft all the time, like all the time, every month, Microsoft push, pushes out some, just about every month, some really serious effects for some really serious vulnerability. And here we have a situation where, you know, yeah, they're serious vulnerabilities, but they're not like. The difference is nobody's used Microsoft's update channel. Well, I shouldn't say nobody in general. The The corollary would be if somebody used Microsoft's update channel to push malware. Correct. That's the thing, right? It's somebody got into Kaseya's distribution methodology right. and pushed malware. Mm -hmm. That's where it's different. And that. You know, we don't know enough, I think, to really dissect that and things that they probably could have done better. But I think in general, if you have automatic update capabilities, you've got to really figure out how to protect that better. Yeah, I, I, I guess I was more on the point of that there were vulnerabilities in Kaseya's software, right? Because almost every manufacturer of software has to pr provide updates on some periodic basis sure. because they have vulnerabilities. You write software, you write vulnerabilities into software. And, Absolutely. And that's, that happened to Kaseya, but it failed in grand fashion. No, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. It's just more of the, beyond that, getting at, getting control of the update channel to all the other devices that trust you. Right. Is, is the, the piece, you know, and I don't have the answer. I really don't, which is a terrible because the whole show, point of the show is to talk about answers. But, you know, going back to SolarWinds, it's the same thing. You've got to find a way to defend that update channel and at least have, have that segregation or at least a, a speed bump that you can catch some sort of malicious code before it goes out. But I don't, I, you know, every, every environment's different. Everything's complex. It's really easy for me to say that. But if you want to maintain the trust of your customers, you've got to find a way to, to, you know, control that and be very, very certain what's going on on that update channel. Right. So some of the other, some of the other news uh, related that's been happening since then is other adversaries are taking advantage of this opportunity and you know, t using more traditional uh, means, more, more traditional social engineering means of, of uh, pushing out infections. There's, um, there, there's one particular article in the, the story we, we linked to here from uh, Security Week, and that talks about uh, one particular adversary who's blasting out emails purporting to have a fix for the Kaseya, for Kaseya software and encourages you 
to act very quickly. It provides a URL that looks like it's to a Kaseya download site, but you know it, that's just the visible part, and the actual link takes you to uh, some other site, which which obviously lets you download their version of malware. So, um, you know, be be careful in in these highly publicized events. A lot of times, you know, whether it's a hurricane or a, you know earthquake or Kaseya ran, Kaseya driven ransomware, <laughs> the bad guys are out there. Uh, you know, looking for for an opportunity to leverage it to make some cash. Back in the day, they used to, you know, companies used to publish their their CRC, and we would do an independent CRC check to make sure we got the authentic file. That's right. That's right. By hand. By hand. And now, now they uh, some companies still do that, and they offer, uh, you know, they host the download and the CRC on the same page, which, hmm. Hmm. in my mind, is not that awesome. That could never. Never, ever, ever, ever be used against them. How could it? How could it? All right. Well, um, I think we've we've probably reached peak uh, peak usefulness on this show. <laughs> we are currently now beating a deceased equine. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Fair. On our way down. All right. Anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, no. I mean. There's more stuff coming out of the Colonial Pipeline attack that was kind of interesting. Maybe we'll talk about that next show. Um, yeah. No. Sorry. Back to painting for you. Yeah. I'm in the middle of painting my bedroom because that's the type of adulting I do now. That's but, right. But thanks, everybody, for listening. And once again, thank you to our Patreon donors for continuing to support us. Uh, through our long and unexpected absence. But hopefully we're back on a regular basis. Hopefully people still enjoy and find value in the show. We do it because we enjoy doing it. And But you giving us feedback and letting us know you care definitely keeps us motivated. So thank you. That's right. And speaking of feedback, if you want to give us feedback, you can uh, hit us up on Twitter. at um, Andy is at Lurg, L-E-R-G, and I'm at MaliciousLink. And with that, we will talk again uh, next week. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Take care.